0: I'm your host, Dr. Eve, and I'd like to welcome you to the First Gen Lounge. Hey, hey, before we jump into today's session, I'd like to take a moment to invite you to become a part of the First Gen Lounge family. I like to say that it's goodness beyond the podcast and where I share with you exclusive offers, resources to navigate life and entrepreneurship and event information. So when this conversation comes to an end, head on over to www.thefirstgenlounge.com forward slash family to join. I've even dropped a link in the show notes to make it easy for you. All right, now let's get into it. So back to your favorite day. You know what day it is, folks. It's Thursday. So I have the privilege to have with us today today. Dr. Marsha S. Liu. She is a phenomenal woman. Uh, We spoke recently. We've met thanks to other first-gen friends and I'm actually going to say Gary. (laughs) Hey, Gary. And definitely just I'm excited to have Dr. Lou on the show today to talk to us about what it's meant for her to be first generation, to pursue a master's, a bachelor's, to get a doctorate, and to also have spent many years working in trio programs. But more specifically, we're going to talk about things that are important. I mean, don't we always? But I want to dive into something different today, talking about social justice, diversity, and even equity and inclusion, which is a really big deal and is so much of the reason why this podcast
1: exists so Dr. Lou, hello. Hello. Thank you so much for having me on your show. I'm really excited about it.
0: You are so very welcome. And thank you f- for being in this space with us for the work that you're doing with TRIO Scholars that you've done for many years. I'm like, oh, gosh, she's a TRIO <laughs> expert. And I love this because <laughs> you not only live first gen, but you know it front and back professionally, which is really like awesome.
1: I do. I've worked with TRIO programs since 2005. Oh yeah, so you love it. I'm, a, I'm an old one in Trio, that's for sure. An old one in Trio, is that what they
0: call it? Just, just saying you are a senior expert in Trio. We'll put it I that am. way. I am.
1: Senior expert sounds better.
0: <laughs> for sure. <laughs> and then happy belated birthday. Oh, thank you. You're thank so you. very welcome. I mean, it's, it's what is Scorpio season, is it? It is. Mm-hmm. It is. My husband's a Scorpio. We just celebrated his birthday as well. But yeah, Dr. Lou, tell us about yourself. Who are you? Where are you from? And even more of what you do
1: beyond the trio stuff. Sure. Well, a little bit about me. Let's see. I grew up in a small Wisconsin town. It was a tourist town. So... There were a lot of people there in the summer, but not so many people there around this time of year. You know, Labor Day kind of shut things down and it it was slower. I grew up in a multicultural household. I am Korean American, but looking at me and growing up where I did near an Ojibwe reservation, I look like I'm Native American. Mm. Um, So as I grew up, I faced a lot of stereotypes as far as my identity people thought i was native american and stereotyped me and Being a Scorpio and and, uh, being fiery as I am (laughs) raised by my parents, um, I I often spoke up and and would correct people and and then I would get the stereotypes of being Asian American. So I I faced Mm. a lot of barriers in that sense. And then when I got into school, I noticed a lot of my classmates, especially as I got into high school, they kind of knew what they needed to do to apply to college, how to figure out the FAFSA, which is terribly confusing even to this day for me at oh, yeah. times, but they were pretty sufficient individuals and they could ask my mom and dad questions like, how do I apply to school? How do I pick my classes for college? And and all those pieces that I just never really understood and had to kind of figure it out on my own because I didn't have trio programs there to guide me throughout high school and, and didn't have that educational knowledge within my family. My folks went to school, but they did their two-year and CNA and and things like that. So going to a four-year was new and very scary. So what made you want to go to college in the first place? I dealt with a lot of stereotypes from adults as a kid, which stereotyping people and being racist against people is not right but when it's adults to children that really bothered me and mm-hmm. so i knew that if i wanted to be taken seriously my education was going to take me far and i knew i had to keep moving forward and and go into college and and figure that piece out and find my support system my family's very supportive but i knew i needed extra support. Extra
0: support. How mm-hmm. were you able to find that extra support? Because again, you mentioned that you did not have TRIO programs available or any, any access program for that matter. So I'm pretty sure it was one of
1: those shot in the dark kind of things. But <laughs> What was it or who was it that helped you out? Sure. I started connecting with people in multicultural affairs and I did connect with some TRIO folks when I did get to college, but I just didn't understand fully what they offered, so I didn't really stay connected there. And I found some friends who said, well, here's the process I went through. I connected with TRIO students who shared with me their journey, so I learned from them. A lot of it was trial and error, finding my path, but I also knew I, I could identify specific instructors or friends who actually knew that process, who are willing to help and who are willing to be that support system for me. Very cool. So you did mention that it was TRIO students that actually
0: did some things to help you along the way. Indeed. Mm-hmm. Which is ironic. Did you ever see yourself landing in TRIO's programs at all?
1: As a student, I didn't see it because part of it seemed like a mystery to me, like, wow, it's TRIO and I'm not good enough. I'm not one that belongs there like i wasn't capable of being a trio student but after college like I love TRIO. I love the mission and it makes sense for me to work with TRIO students. So that's how I've landed up working in a TRIO program.
0: Well, that would actually make sense. you uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, you know, you, So you have the both sides experience of it, which I think is really fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think most of us who work in any capacity where something has really altered our lives, we want to dig into it more and be a part of that thing that helped change us to help change the lives of others, if that's a good way to say it. Right, Exactly. Very, very cool. So, talk to us a little bit about your work with social justice because I know that's something that is really near and dear to your heart. And again, lived experiences, right? Right. Um, That's really helped transform what you're doing now. So, yeah, talk to us about that. What does social justice look like for you? And what are you doing now to ensure that we're all being conscious?
1: Yeah, sure. So, I, again, faced a lot of adversities throughout my childhood because of the racism that I grew up experiencing in my community, in my school, even in my classroom. So I was inspired to not let that happen to other students. For the longest time, I thought I was going to work in a high school setting, but then I I found TRIO fit my mission more, and I wanted to work with students and help first-gen students understand that they're not alone and that they might be dealing with income pieces that are out there, if they're also underrepresented, they're going to face some of those stereotypes and come up against racism. In the area I live now, it's like 97 or 99% Caucasian. So there's not a lot of people of color in our community. There's pockets, definitely pockets. There's great people doing wonderful social justice work and knowing that that's going on. I'm like, how do I get more involved? So I started teaching some diversity and social justice classes to students who are going into education to be teachers or to be principals and administrators and, I am part of a blanket exercise team in this area of Minnesota where we take participants through the experiences of Native peoples in the United States. So talking about boarding schools, missing and murdered Indigenous women, I'm part of that Mm -hmm. team educating the community as well. And in my current position, I'm able to mesh those two together a bit where I'm using my community work and incorporating that into my diversity class with my students. And most most of our students are first generation. We're just in a Bay Area where it's populated with first generation folks. So that's what our TRIO program focuses on is first generation, low income folks.
0: That's really interesting work because, again, thinking about it from the socioeconomic class perspective mm-hmm. the ethnicity perspective and the collegiate. so I, I talk about the academic perspective of things right. how much life changes based on what those things look like for us mm-hmm. and to be working you know with people of color as a woman of color you know yourself and in the area like you just said is 90 how much how much percent
1: it was like 97 or maybe I know at one point it was 99% when I first moved Ooh. here so Wow. Right. (laughs) Very Caucasian. And, you know, this isn't to just kind of put you on the spot question, but just just wondering,
0: that's pretty high. Like you're basically three of a hundred, you know, (laughs) Which can feel really awkward. How do you have those conversations about social justice in spaces where, you know, when we talk about diversity, in some cases we tend to talk about race and socioeconomic class, if that comes up, but more than anything, race and gender. Mm -hmm. How do you have these conversations and not feel intimidated even in what you're doing?
1: I think there's a part of me that will always feel intimidated that imposter syndrome, like, I'm not Mm -hmm. supposed to be here. I'm not, not quite good enough. I don't belong. But then... I have to pause, I have to think, I have to self-reflect and say, you know what, I did the work, I went through the schooling, I am knowledgeable, I've done the research, and I understand, and what I have to say is important, and people need Mm -hmm. to hear that. Depending on the setting, I, I can get, again, a little feisty, and so I might be a little more aggressive in my speech, but... It may be viewed as aggressive. For me, it's being assertive. So I just try mm-hmm. to remain assertive. And instead of telling people, like, this is how it really is, your views aren't, you know, I'm not going to tell them what their views are. I'm going to explain situations and say, have you ever considered this example? Or, you know, I worked with a student who experienced this. So it's their real life examples that I give folks so then they can kind of reflect on maybe some of the biases that they might have. And they themselves can kind of pause and do some self-reflection. So I, I try to have really open and honest conversations.
0: So out of total curiosity, Mm -hmm. because I mean, this is very fascinating, a conversation to have, and I can't get over this 97%. And it's not that (laughs) it's not real, but it's like, wow. Again, it's hard sometimes to be the minority, be it 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 that you are already a woman and a woman of color, and then you're doing social justice work. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I find myself a little frustrated by the idea that people of color tend to do work around social justice you know as some people would say but if we don't who will right but then the opposite side is whenever there's somebody who's not of color or not of the same gender or socioeconomic class who's trying to push the agenda forward even those individuals get pushed back that mm-hmm. they think that they're privileged or who do they think that they are um, what is it savior complex um, that they right. have to try to come in and the great white hope kind of thing if they should be white or you know men who said that they're feminist. so again these conversations can get very tricky very interesting but have you in the work that you've done come
1: to learn of any biases of your own that you've had to check i think we're always going to have our own biases and at times when i'm going into workshops or meetings i might just have the thought like someone in this room is going to attack me they're not going to have a good conversation i'm like wait a second, nope. Nope, that's a bias that I have because that's happened to me before in workshops that I've done where I am attacked or people call me out saying, you know, I'm dreaming things up or whatever the case may be. So that is one bias that I I just step back. And again, that self-reflection piece comes into play. Um, I've studied martial arts in the past, so I've learned the importance of pausing and reflecting and really looking inward and understanding that again what I have to offer is worthy but Mm. what my audience has to offer me is just as worthy and it's a learning experience on both ends. I am lucky to be able to learn from all the folks who do come to my workshops or who are in my classrooms and it's really something where I'm really just grateful to have folks teach me while I'm teaching them if that makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. We are always students of life.
0: And what makes us better teachers are being great students. Mm -hmm. So, you know, to go into any space, always being open to what others have to say, because everybody has an opinion, everybody has a thought, and we are always exposed to things that our lived experiences may not have exposed us to. So that's what I'm trying to say as well. Mm-hmm. One thing I love about education and, you know, you being higher education professional and an instructor I also understands sometimes your students say things to you and you're like, what? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> that's a thought. Gosh, you know, you, you made me check myself. And, and, I, and I've had this long belief as well that mentorship isn't just people who are older than me. But somebody who has more experience in something than I do, and sometimes that can be a college student Mm -hmm. who's walked a different path, who's, you know, struggled with, let's just say, maybe foster care. They can teach me about those systems and how things work. Or somebody who may have had a, a drug addicted parent. I don't understand it. That wasn't my experience, but they can teach me some of the nuances that came with that lifestyle. So I'm always open to learning so I can be more sensitive as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who or what has been the biggest influence on your success thus far? Because not only are you first gen for a bachelor's, you kept going. <laughs> you went all the way to your doctorate. And I'm like, what is it with us? We just don't stop. <laughs> but, you know, so, so what was it that did it for you? Because again, nobody seemed to have really been encouraging it,
1: but you knew that you were going to do it right. and you went all the way <laughs> I did it might have been a moment of weakness I don't know um, <laughs> but <laughs> I, I do know my my family was always very supportive they're like we don't know how to do this but we're going to encourage you we're going to be your biggest cheerleaders and they have been my I grew up hearing from my parents you can be whatever you want to be you're just not going to live in our house for free until you're, you know, 50 years old. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm like, but I cook, so I can live in your house. I can stay with mom and dad forever. (laughs) That's what I was thinking as a child. But they really, you know, encouraged me to go beyond and go outside the box. You know, they, they didn't want me to fit into a mold. They said, you're beyond that. You can do it. So I did. And I just found folks who encouraged that. I had very supportive friends. And at one point, I knew I wanted to be a school counselor. That was my thought. So I had to get my master's. So I guess for my master's, I thought, well, I have no choice. I need it to do what I want to do. And then uh, it might have been 2008 or nine. I received a Woman of Color Award. And I had an administrator, he was the affirmative action officer at the time. He said, you know, you've done so much in your life. I just have to ask, why don't you have your doctorate? And I stood there staring at him. I think my jaw dropped and I said, I I don't know why I don't have my doctorate. And he looked at me and he said, I think you should really think about your answer then because you don't really have a good answer as to why you don't have one. Mm. And I thought, okay, that is a really good point. So I literally ran up to my office and I contacted a school and I said, I'm ready, let's do it. <laughs> so I I applied that same day and had an interview the following week and was accepted. <laughs> so it wow. was it was crazy, but it was it was a great process. All in all, no time wasted, oh, no, <laughs> not, at not at all. I mean, the dissertation part, you know, there was probably some tears involved, but all in all, it was very much worth it.
0: Mm, it. It always is. I think that all the time when I look back, I'm like, it was really a struggle and it was really the most challenging thing I've ever done emotionally, spiritually, sometimes physically, uh-huh. <laughs> depending <laughs> on how much work I had to get done, like, <laughs> did I really have the, to the time or just the the mental capacity to read one more paragraph, but in the end, you know, you're grateful for it for it all, and, you know, just telling you candidly, it's a reason why I'm not really stickular about, hey, call me doctor but I'm very particular about calling people doctor who are not like people who are working on it, because I'm like, you haven't gotten it yet and you know, and and it's not to be offended to them, but I kind of feel offended that you know, I mean, I, somebody like Doctor Dre is one thing, you know, honestly, right. it really is, but people who are actually working on degrees and they're like, you know. Even social media names, Doctor Something. I'm like, oh mm-hmm. no. because until you actually make it over the finish line, do you really understand what this process means? But hey, that's my two cents. <laughs> um, my t- my little tangent. So, Doctor Lou, you know, I I proudly call you because, like you said, a lot of tears, mm-hmm. and I used to think every couple of days I was going to drop out. Right. <laughs> I'm like, I'm, I'm over this. I'm going home, uh-huh. but the doctorate is something that as especially the first gen, I think this is where we have an advantage we have a different resilience mm-hmm. that we know it's only hard right now but because of what we've been through and you know like the, the gentleman that spoke with you listening to your story why are you not and so to know what we've been through and to think about what the process of becoming a doctor is you know from an academic standpoint why not Dr. Lou so he was right why not right. <laughs> but I'm glad that you went for it and doing it. So you talked a little bit early about, you know, your research touching
1: on social justice. What What's that about? Can you tell us about that? I'm always looking at my community. I'm always looking at my students and how they might fit in and what they experience. I mean, our community is a lovely community, but I've experienced racism in my community, have my students, have my students been treated poorly because they're first generation and may not know the system as well as other students or other people in our community? So I'm always pulling out articles that I can read, and it works really well now in time for a grant. I'm pulling out those research articles, so I'm always reading and wanting to learn more and ask questions. So it's it's very unofficial type of research, but it it will benefit my students and it helps me grow in my knowledge of what's going on currently within my community and with my my students fun what is probably the most significant thing that you've gotten from your research or
0: the one thing that you just want everybody to know about that has definitely maybe struck a chord with you or something that you just feel like would help make the community around you and the world around you better
1: I have found and I have heard from many people, individuals in the community, my students, my colleagues, my friends. Everybody wants to be treated like somebody, like they're an individual. Mm. I received some advice from a teacher. He wasn't my teacher. It was a long time ago. He has since passed away. But he told me, it's always important to meet people where they're at. So if you're talking to the president of the United States or the president of your college. Treat them with the same respect and give them the same dignity that you would the custodian. Talk with everybody as if they're your equal, even if they may be above you with their title or below you with a title. A title's just a title. Treat everybody with respect. And that's Mm. what I've heard a lot from my students and colleagues and and friends and in my circle, they want to be treated with respect that their word is valued when they speak up in a meeting, that they're considered worthy, that their thoughts are worth something. Their ideas are exciting and not be brushed off all the time. Mm. You know, of all
0: the things I've ever heard and all the things that have ever been a part of the social justice conversation, beyond the belonging aspect mm-hmm. and the inclusion that just really nailed, like hits a nail on the head that really just sums it all up why people are fighting for lack of better words, for their rights, people just want to be respected. Mm-hmm. And as long as I have had this thought process about how I treat people, because I definitely strive to treat people with the utmost respect, no matter who you are, where you come from, it's just a kindness. It's more, for me, it's more about being kind. Did I just have the perspective, or did you just shift it to where I'm like, wow? That's really what it's been all mm-hmm. along. Treating people with respect such that they feel like human beings and not just others. Wow. That's
1: really good, Dr. Lou. Thank you. Really good. and. Yeah, it's it's what I hear from from folks. And I know that's that's how I feel, too. Everybody's voice is worthy and we need to listen. This is true. But I also feel like, you know, when we talk about
0: listening to people's voices or hearing them out, I think more than anything, people have the tendency to think that others are whining. Mm hmm. Everybody's whining because everybody wants, you know, a seat at the table. But why shouldn't everybody have a seat at the table? Right. Why shouldn't everyone at least find a place to belong? And I think that's where it goes back to if you can't find a seat at the table, you know, that you are supposed to build your own. And hence the reason it is important as individuals who believe in social justice and diversity to an inclusion um, to definitely think about how we're building spaces for others. I'm not saying that we're running away from what's already there, but it's important for us to realize at what point do we have to say, hey, I'm just going to build a table and Mm -hmm. take a seat.
1: And for those of us at the table, be aware and be sure to make room for others. Because those of us at the table were able to do that. We have that ability to do so. Mm -hmm. Um, It's always, Mm -hmm. you know, asking someone who might be a little more quiet in a meeting, you know, did you have anything to add? Or maybe reflecting back and saying, you know, earlier in the meeting, you mentioned this. Could you expand upon that idea a little more? And and just putting that out there. People want to be heard. Those are great practical Mm -hmm. tips. Those are great
0: practical tips. Absolutely. Because how often does it happen? Do we sit somewhere, we go somewhere and everybody said something and depending on how the room looks you may not be asked or you may say something but you're not heard that's probably the tricky and the hard part so thank you for that advice for those who may not be of color or may not be in power or may not be a man or a woman depending on the space that's being dominated Mm -hmm. to be able to think about how to be more conscious in including others are there any other things that you would tell people to do or at least give them advice on how to be more conscious of being inclusive
1: be aware and, and know that if you find that you're holding on to some biases that it doesn't make you a horrible person. It just might mean you need to grow a little bit and think outside the box a little bit more. Um, I always have people say, I'm so guilty. I'm, an, I'm a horrible person. I'm like, no, no, no. You need to stop. That, that kind of talk does no good for anybody. So how can we reframe that? So you have a bias. What can you do to work on that? How can you work on that? What are some steps that you can take you don't have to fix a problem right away it it might take a few different you know steps along the way to learn more to process to educate yourself and and just understand that you're not a bad person we just need to reframe our view sometimes
0: Mm, reframe the view that's really um, a good perspective or a good way to think about it as well because you just don't know what you don't know right Mm -hmm. And my husband says it quite often, but we can never blame people for being who they are. People only do what they know to do until something comes along and changes that. And so you are definitely a change agent in this world in social justice, and especially in an area that's not very populated by people of color and not just the Minnesota area, but just period. When I think the Midwest, I don't really think about people of color being there, although I know they are. It's the cold weather, <laughs> but I'm just like, nobody's there. <laughs> it's the cold weather. I'm not going, but you know, I mean, it's, it, 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 as we laugh, like I, I was told about a few opportunities to go to grad school. And I actually, had a friend to say, "Why don't you go to Minnesota?" And I was like, "Absolutely <laughs> not," because I'm not willing to deal with the winter. But that's me and my personal bias. <laughs> but I will definitely—I tell people all the time. But sometimes you have to do things that you don't want to do to get to where you want to go. And when I say don't want to do, it may not be comfortable right now, but it's just temporary. If the long-term benefit is greater, then right, go for it. So right. fun stuff. But Dr. Lou, you have been such a joy to have. I've enjoyed the conversation. I enjoy being able to freely discuss social justice and diversity and inclusion and what it's meant to be underrepresented, but then how you've been intentional about the work to help others uh, along the way. One of my favorite questions to ask. You're not a from it. <laughs> so we're <gonna> get, you're <laughs> okay. not out of this. Um, if you had one thing, one piece of advice, one word, one thought to share with us, something to carry with us for the rest of our lives, what
1: would that thing be? Keep moving forward. Keep moving forward. Grow. However it is, people grow, grow. For me, I read, I research, I talk with people. I, I like to educate myself. So, growth is important and change is okay. That's good. (laughs) I like that.
0: (laughs) I want to put that in my journal.
1: (laughs) Grow however you may grow. Oh, I really, really like
0: that. Well, Dr. Lou, we're on social media or the internet, wherever it may be. Would you like for the
1: people to find you? Yeah, I am on Facebook and on LinkedIn. Folks can feel free to send me a friend request. That's certainly not a problem. It's just a headshot of me. So I don't have anything too terribly exciting or <laughs> flashy on my Facebook <laughs> page, but LinkedIn as well under Dr. M. Lou, I believe. I might put MS in there, but M. Lou fun stuff. Well, Dr. Logan, thank you for your time,
0: for what you're doing, again, to just change the world, for being outstanding first gen, especially one in higher ed and doing the trio work, which is no easy task, but you're doing it. And, you know, the commitment to it is definitely making a difference. So thank you for that. Thank you so much
1: for taking time to talk with me today. I've really
0: enjoyed it. You are so very welcome. Until the next time, we will chat soon. Before you go, I just want to take the time to say thank you again for tuning in, for being in this space. I really appreciate you. Now, if any part of the show did anything for you, then pass the word. Tell a friend, you know, text, email, DM. Let them know about the First Gen Lounge so we can continue to inspire others that are around us. I want you to come back and kick it again. But in the meantime, keep pressing
1: forward.